Hey, this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifekc.com. Hey, welcome to church. Uh, Happy Easter. My name is Alex, if I haven't had the chance to meet you, and I'm the pastor here at New Life. And of all the churches that you could go to on this Easter Sunday, you've chosen to be here with us, and we do consider that a great honor, and uh, we, we are so thankful that you are here on this wonderful Easter Sunday. Now, there are some of you who would not feel complete with your Easter Sunday if we didn't do one thing. And so in the church, there's this thing called the Paschal Greeting. You don't even know what it's called that. It's called the Easter Annunciation. It's where we actually do this little thing, and you didn't know what it was called, but we're going to do it and get it out of your system once and for all, okay? Are you ready? He is risen. See, I knew it. I knew you grew up in church. I knew you knew this. So, hey, uh, if, if we get started today, we are talking about Easter and the fact that Jesus is risen. Uh, you guys remember back in the day when Jay Leno had like a late night show and he used to send out like a crew on the street just to like interview people and ask them questions. And you found out that the world that we live in is not very intelligible. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I remember finding that out too. And so I thought if we went out on the streets and we asked people like, what do you think the biggest day is for Christians? What answers we would get? And I think that most people would say the biggest day for Christians is Christmas. You know, because, you know, it's Christmas. But I think, honestly, the biggest day for Christians is really Easter. And if it wasn't for Easter, I don't think anyone would have ever thought or dreamt of celebrating Christmas. And so what is Easter? Why is it such a big deal? The other day, my brother-in-law was over at the house and he was decorating eggs with my kids, which I didn't anticipate for my brother-in-law. He didn't seem like the type to decorate eggs, but he was at the house doing this. And when he saw me, he was like, hey, pastor. He was like, you know, this Sunday is like the Super Bowl for you, isn't it? He's like, for you and your church. And I was like, not missing a beat. I was like, yeah, man, it is. And you're not going to miss the big game, are you? You're coming to church 10 o'clock Sunday. And he was like, "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh. But even he who's not here today, he even knows that Easter is the big event for us as Christians. And what are we celebrating? Well, we're celebrating an event, an event that split history between B.C. and A.D. And it's about this person named Jesus who died by execution. He died in a horrible manner, in a way that lots of people died by crucifixion. But what makes him unique is three days later, he came back to life. And that event, that resurrection, which simply means to come back to life, that is what we are celebrating, which is the cornerstone of our entire faith. If Jesus hadn't walked out of the grave, we wouldn't be following him. If he didn't walk out of the grave, man, a whole lot of things would change. And I know that there's a lot of people who grow up in church and they believe that Jesus rose from the grave just because they believe the Bible's true. And if the Bible's true and the Bible says it, then I believe it. And I think that's a good place to be. That's all right. But there were people who believed in the resurrection of Jesus before the Bible was even put together, before the Bible was compiled. I don't know if you know this or not, but there has to be a birth before there's a birth certificate. And so the thing that we're celebrating is the event of Jesus' resurrection that happened prior to anybody writing about it. And so you may be here and you may say, you know, I don't really put myself in that category of Christian. I don't really follow Jesus. I mean, I'm here because it's Easter and I'll see you again on Christmas. But like, you don't really follow this every day. That's okay. You're here. I love that you're here. But I want you to know that you can believe in the resurrection of Jesus without having to embrace the Bible. 
Because in fact, there were people who began to believe in the resurrection of Jesus the day it happened. Right? If you saw somebody that you knew who had passed away alive again, wouldn't that rock your world? I mean, it would rock your world. Uh, this past Monday, my dad uh, did a funeral for a friend of his named Ron, and, and I went over for the visitation, and I saw Ron's body in the casket. And I'm telling you right now, if Ron walked in those back doors, I would do some things you've never seen me do before. I, would, I don't know exactly what I would do, but I think I might just pull my phone out and click that little button that says live, and I might go on Facebook Live for the first time ever. I would be on Instagram Live. I would be tweeting. I don't even know what to tweet, but I would be tweeting it. I would be on TikTok. I don't even know what you do on TikTok, but I'd be TikToking. I would be snapping people. I don't even know who's on that one app where it takes a picture this way and of you. I'm on that too. We're doing it all because I want everybody to know he was dead and he is alive and it's freaking me out. Like, it's amazing. This is so incredible. And so just like if you knew somebody who had passed away and like they were in the grave, they came back to life, it would revolutionize your life. Your worldview would immediately change. And the people who saw Jesus did what I would do. They went to social media, but they lived in a different time. Like there was no TikTok and there was no Be Real. There was none of those things for them to do, but they did what they could. And so they began to tell people the story. You wouldn't believe it. He was alive. I saw him. He still had scars and he was there and then he was gone. And they would begin to tell the stories of Jesus' resurrection and it spread like wildfire. Everybody wanted to know what happened, what really happened. And then some of the people who were eyewitnesses, what I love about them is they said, we got to write this down. Like, this is a big deal. Like, he was dead <laughs> and he's alive. This never happened before. And so these eyewitnesses began to write down exactly what happened. And they have their account of Jesus coming back to life. And one of those eyewitnesses is a guy by the name of Matthew. And so we, we see some of his writings in the Bible as he wrote, here's the life of Jesus. And then there's another guy by the name of John. And I'm gonna actually have us look at John's account of what happened on that very first Easter morning because it changed the world. And so who is John? John is a pretty familiar name. It's a popular name. Uh, my grandfather's name was John. I've gone to school with John. Raise your hand if you know somebody named John. Everybody knows a John. Everybody knows a John. And in the Bible, there's lots of Johns, but the John who wrote this story of the resurrection of Jesus was one of Jesus' disciples. Jesus had selected 12 dudes to follow him. And they spent three years of their life traveling with him. They were on boats together. They were around campfires together. They were a part of these crazy miracle stories where like people who were blind all of a sudden could see. Like these disciples witnessed that. They witnessed Lazarus coming forth from the grave. They witnessed somebody who had been lame and never able to walk, walking. They witnessed the woman who had the issue of blood being healed. They witnessed all of these things for three years. They followed Jesus. They lived with Jesus. They saw him walk on water. They know this guy's incredible. And John is a part of that group. And not only is John just one of the 12, he's actually part of an inner circle. There was about three dudes that spent more time with Jesus than anybody else. John was one of them. And then there was his biological brother, James. And then there was his brother from another mother named Peter. And so him and Peter, they had a fun, exciting, competitive relationship. Whatever there was anything to happen, they were always at one another's throat. They wanted to be the favorite disciple. They wanted to be the one that Jesus loved more than anybody else. They wanted to be the guy that Jesus looked to. And so John, he wrote his account after Peter got a little bit older and couldn't say anything. And so when we read John's account of what happened, he refers to himself as the disciple 
Jesus loved. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? It's not like Jesus didn't love everybody, but he wants you to know, I am the disciple Jesus loves. And so John writes this story about the resurrection of Jesus, how he came to believe in it, and how the world was changed. And, and here's the thing about John. He was so convinced that Jesus was resurrected that literally nothing could persuade him. Well, according to tradition, John was arrested in a city called Ephesus, and he faced martyrdom. He, he faced death on account of his belief system. If he would have renounced Jesus and said, no, he didn't really raise from the dead, they wouldn't have done what they did to him. But because he said, no, Jesus is alive, they took him and they threw him into a pot of boiling oil. I was cooking on the stove the other day and I had like a little grease fleck hit me in the hand. That hurt. Can you imagine your whole body being submerged into boiling oil? And according to tradition, here's the crazy thing. It didn't kill him. He survived it. And then he's like, what are we going to do with this guy? He came out of that oil. Jesus is still alive. Like, what are you going to do with this guy? You can't shut him up. So they said, fine, you're going to go work as a slave. And they sent him to this island to work as slave labor until, until he died. And so John is so convinced of Jesus' resurrection that I love his story. And, and as we jump into it, it's in John chapter 20, if you want to read this on your own. But John's account starts off with this statement where he says early on Sunday morning. And in the literal sense, what he says is on the first day of the week. And what's remarkable to me is that most of us would not pay attention to this phrase, on the first day of the week, except when you go to Bible college and you become a pastor, you pay attention to like little things nobody pays attention to. But here's the deal. There's four accounts of the resurrection of Jesus. We have John's account. I told you about Matthew's. There's also Mark and Luke. And every single one of them start the same way. They start it by saying, on the first day of the week. It, they don't say, hey, three days after he died. See, this story isn't a continuation of his death. We're not continuing something. No, no, on the first day of the week. In fact, this is something new, y'all. We're on a new week. We're doing something new. It's never happened before. This is exciting stuff. And just in the verbiage, we're communicating that there is something beginning here at the beginning of the story, on the first day of the week. And then John does what the other writers don't, is that he kind of sets the stage for this resurrection story. And he says on the first day of the week, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark. Now, of course, he's referring to the fact that it was dark when he woke up. It was dark that morning. But I think that it's interesting that you and I are also familiar with darkness. Darkness is everywhere, it seems like, anymore. I don't know about you. I stopped watching the news a while ago because I just, it was depressing. I, I didn't feel it was good for my soul. It felt like every time I turned it on, it was just more bad news and more murders and more tragedies and things I didn't ever know. And now I know. And just the brokenness of the world. You want your blood pressure to go down? Stop listening to political commentary. Oh, you can have health. You don't have to listen to that. And so we live in this world that's, that's dark. Several years ago, the Saturday Evening Post ran a cartoon, and it showed this man who was being rescued after being shipwrecked on this tiny deserted island for a long time. And, and then the way that the little cartoon went was that there was a, a sailor in charge of the rescue team. And when they came to this man who'd been shipwrecked, the sailor said to him, he said, compliments of the captain, and he handed him a stack of newspapers. 
he said, the captain would like for you to glance over the headlines to see if you'd still like to be rescued. And I think sometimes the headlines do scare us. I think sometimes it feels as though in our world evil is winning. It sometimes feels as though just life can bring these cold darkness to our soul. You know, somewhere in our world earlier this week, an old couple received a phone call that their son who lives far away wasn't able to come home for the holidays. And while he told them, hey, the grandkids say hello, and they assured him that they understood, they hung up the phone and they just felt darkness. Earlier this week, a woman was called into her supervisor's office to hear that times are hard for the company and that they're going to have to let her go. We're so sorry. She cleaned out her desk and packed up her her hopes for getting ahead and wondered exactly what she would tell her kids when she got home. Earlier this week, someone received terrible news from a physician. Someone else heard the words, I'm sorry, I just don't love you anymore. Every day, the darkness of infertility overshadows a couple. Darkness, it's everywhere. And sometimes darkness can seem overwhelming. And what's crazy about our story is that John is saying, listen, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, like no one, I don't think, is ever really ready to encounter Easter until they've spent time in the dark. Easter is the last thing we're expecting in the dark, and I think that's part of what terrifies us about Easter, because this day is not about bunnies and springtime or even peeps. It's not about dressing nice for church. Easter is about more hope than we can handle. And so as we begin to read this story, we're going to look at some of the people that Jesus showed up to, some of the people that witnessed his resurrection. And what I want you to do as we read through this is I want you to say, hey, who do I identify with most in this story? What person is kind of my person? Like that's who I resonate with. So if we will, let's put John chapter 20 up here on the screen. You can follow along with me as we read the resurrection story of Jesus from John's perspective. On the first day of the week, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, you know, the one whom Jesus loved, John. And she said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. It's interesting that Jesus is not in the tomb, but she didn't look in the tomb. She just saw it from the outside, saw the stoners rolled away, and she assumed somebody snatched his body. There's a body snatcher among us. I don't know where he is, but there's a body snatcher. So she goes and tells Peter in this. And and here's what's crazy. There's a true miracle that had taken place in front of her. It's the resurrection of Jesus, but she doesn't recognize it. So verse 3 says that Peter and the other disciple, John, started out for the tomb, and they were both running. But the disciple, the other disciple, he outran Peter, and he reached the tomb first. (laughs) There's no rivalry here. (laughs) He stooped, and he looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there. But he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. Now, I know earlier I asked you to say, like, who do you most resonate with? And some of you are like, Peter, he don't like running. That's my man. He is not a good. 
I'm with John. I am getting to that tomb first, y'all. So here they are. They both finally get there. And then Simon, when he arrived, he went right inside. He didn't wait. And he also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. In other words, that doesn't make sense. If somebody snatched the body, they ain't like, hey, hang on a second, let's fold this stuff up. They would have just taken the body and got out of there. And if it got folded up, who folded it? Jesus like woke up, he's alive, and he's like, let me just take a moment to make my bed before I get out of here, which is a sign for all of you kids to just make your bed. And for you adults who ain't making your bed, Jesus made his bed. Like, you're like, I'm tired though. He was dead. He did it. All right. Verse eight. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, John, also went in. Like, Peter's in, I'm going in. And he, notice this, he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said that Jesus must rise from the dead. And then verse 10's fun. Then they went home. We're going to pause the story here. And I want us to talk just for a minute about John, the other disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved. I want you to ask yourself, do I connect with John? See, John is interesting because when he goes inside the tomb and he sees these linen cloths lying there, he immediately knows what that means. There's not a question in his head about what it means. He knows what it means. And I think about people that I know who, like I grew up in church with, who we were at the youth group. We went to Sunday church or Sunday school. Man, we used to have like Wednesday night and Sunday morning and Sunday night. And then admissions, you were in church like all the time. And there's people that they grew up in church. They went to the youth camps and conferences. But then as soon as they got into high school or 18, they took off for college, they turned their back and they've left the church. And they've not been in the church since. And I think about when it comes to Easter, they know what Easter is about. They don't need someone to preach them a sermon. They don't need someone to come and explain it to them. They don't need anybody's help. They just know. They can see the empty cross and they know what that means. And so John here has been around. He's knows the story, but it's in the moment that he sees that he does something he chooses to believe. He saw and believed. And I think that there are some people who have seen, but they are just resistant to believe. And my encouragement today would be for you to be like John, to see and believe. Let's continue our story. In verse 11, it says that Mary eventually was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, or better put, as she's wailing, as she's loudly expressing her grief, this isn't a small, nice, cute cry. This is snot, ugly, it's loud. Ah! She finally stooped and looked in. And she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Now, I don't know what these angels were doing. They just showed up. I don't know if they're playing cards. I don't know if they're talking. I don't know if they're doing laundry duty. I don't know what they're doing. But they're here. She pops her head and sees them, and they say, Dear woman, why are you crying? And she said, because they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have put him. And so she turned to leave and saw someone standing there. And get this, it was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. 
So we start our story off with her showing up to an empty grave. There's a miracle that took place. She didn't recognize it. Now she's talking to angels as though that's normal. And it's like so nonchalant, she's turning around and walking away. And now Jesus is standing there and she don't even recognize him. And so Jesus is like, dear woman, I wonder how they said those words. Because it would probably be like me. Oh, dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? It's never good when Jesus starts asking you questions because he knows the answer. This is fun. Hey, Mary, who are you looking for? I'm right here. Get this. She thought he was the gardener. OMG. So for those of you who have an active imagination, you're picturing the story. I want you to stop thinking about Mary as a brunette. And I want you to start picturing her as a blonde. Let's go back to the Bible. Verse 15. <laughs> Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? Well, she thought he was the gardener. Like literally Jesus is speaking to her. Jesus is talking to her. He is right there. She don't recognize it. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll go get him. Now, now she's thinking Jesus is the body snatcher. This is just unbelievable. And so sure, sir, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go get him. Don't miss verse 16. Jesus says to her, Mary. And at the sound of her voice, she turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't, don't cling to me, Jesus said, for, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. In other words, Mary, I'm going to be here for a little bit. You're going to see me again. But go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And so Mary Magdalene found the disciples and she told them. She's the first one that's seen Jesus alive. She's the first one that's seen him physically resurrected. I have seen the Lord. And then she gave them his message. So we're going to hit the pause button here on the story. And we're going to talk about Mary. John saw and believed. Mary had to hear her name before she believed. Like for Mary, Jesus' presence in her life wasn't enough. Like he was literally right there. That wasn't enough for her. Mary was the first to witness the body snatching, and she could have been the first to witness a miracle, but she misread God's activity in her life. She misassigned it. She said, that can't be God. That's got to be something else. And I think that sometimes our hurt, our grief, our pain, our disappointment, can cause us to misread Jesus' presence in our life. See, for Mary, Jesus wasn't personal until she heard her name. He was there, he was there all the time, but it wasn't until she heard her own name said by him that she realized who he was. Jesus is for you. And I believe that Jesus is calling your name, just as he called Mary's. And I think for some of you, you know that God's been involved in your past if you stop and think about it. You know that without his protection, without his oversight, it's possible you wouldn't even be alive today. But like Mary, you've maybe just chalked it up to good fortune or good luck. But today, I want you to recognize Jesus has been there all along. And he's calling your name. Do you resonate with John? Do you resonate with Mary?
Our story continues in verse 19. It says that that Sunday evening, so it was dark, the sun came up, and the sun's gone down. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors. And they locked these doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Let's not forget, they just killed Jesus a couple days ago. Like, they killed him. Like, he was the hope of the world, and he's gone. They're afraid. They've locked the door. And then suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. I want to know more details about this. Was there fog? Was there haze? Was there lightning? Was there thunder? Or was he like the creepy butler from Mr. Deeds who's just very sneaky? How did he get there? But suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. And his first words are, peace be with you. Now, if you had been a follower of Jesus for three years, and you witness him being arrested, and then you abandon him, and you run off, and they kill him, and now Jesus is back from the grave, I don't know about you, I am scared. I don't know what he's going to do. I'm sure he ain't happy. Apparently, he knows all things and is God. He just came back from the dead, and he knows that I'm a chicken and I turn my back on him. I'm expecting, if he's suddenly going to appear, to be like, hey, boys, guess who's back? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. That's when the lightning's going to start, right? Like, ah. Oh. But instead of showing up and being like, boys, you, 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 all, you all failed. You're all worthless. You're all, you all need to be... Uh, you know, remorseful for what you did, instead of like beating them up and saying, I know what you did and, and, and bringing guilt and shame and condemnation, he doesn't do any of that. He shows up and his first words are, peace, shalom, peace be with you. As he spoke, he showed them the, the wounds in his hands and, and his side. And, and get this, they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am also sending you. Then he breathed on them. This is definitely before COVID in 2020. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. In other words, those who do not respond to the preaching of the gospel are going to be left in their sins in an unforgiven state. But it's your responsibility to take this message to them. So we're going to hit pause on the story again, and we're going to talk about the disciples. See, the disciples believed when they saw him. John saw linen cloths. He saw evidence of Jesus' resurrection. That was enough for him. Mary was in the presence of Jesus. It wasn't until she heard her name, but the disciples, when they saw him, they believed. And I want you to notice what happened inside of them when they saw the Lord. They were not filled with condemnation. They weren't beating themselves up. They didn't feel shame. But as they saw him, they were filled with joy. There was an excitement. There was an anticipation. There was a, a happiness that came over them. Not the things that we think if we were to stand before God, we would feel. And I think that sometimes we have a wrong conception in our head of what it would be like to stand before God. He ain't here to beat you up. He ain't here to bring up your past. He ain't here to tell you how much you screwed up. He's here to tell you there's hope for the future. Sure, you have a past, but I have a future for you. And it fills them with joy. I know some people who, who wrestle with doubts. 
And, and, and like the disciples, they're almost scared and hiding. They're like in this upper room like the disciples were. And maybe they feel like they've done too many things wrong or they feel like they've made too many poor choices. But I want you to notice something about Jesus. He showed up suddenly. It wasn't at their invitation. They weren't up there praying for him to show up. He loved them enough to suddenly appear in their lives. And I believe that for some of you, God is about to suddenly show up in your life. Or maybe he has. And if you recognize that Jesus loves you, and the more time you spend with him, it will fill you with joy. The disciples were in a hopeless situation. They didn't know how they could move forward until Jesus appeared and gave them peace. And I wonder how many people are sitting in church services on Easter Sunday right now who are in need of hope and peace, the two things that only God can provide. It's pretty easy to deny the resurrection until he's standing in front of you. Let's continue on. One of the disciples, Thomas, oh, Tommy boy. Now you're thinking of Chris Farley and Matt Foley, and he's the black sheep. One of the disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. Can you imagine? What luck. You go out to 7-Eleven to grab a Slurpee, you come back, and they're like, he was here. What? And that's what they told him. Verse 25, they told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I ain't believing you unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and I put my fingers into them and place my hands into the sides. That's wounds. You know, like, listen, I think you guys are, you guys are all spooked. You think you saw a ghost. I ain't gonna believe it until I touch him, until I see him. And so Thomas here, he's got some friends who are Jesus people, but Thomas is maybe a little bit like you. He's just a little bit skeptical. Like, uh, I hear what you're saying, Jesus people, but I don't know if I buy it. He ain't taking their word for it. What he needs is he's needing some convincing before he's gonna put his faith and belief in Jesus. If Jesus is alive and not dead, I'm gonna need some more evidence of that. I'm not just gonna take that at face value. And so get this, verse 26 says, eight days later. That doesn't seem like a long time. That's a long time. You know what's happening eight days ago? Final four games of the NCAA tournament, and you don't even remember what teams are playing other than UConn just because they won the tournament. Eight days ago, final four. Eight days, that's a long time to wait around. But eight days later, the disciples were together again, but this time, good old Tommy boy, he was with them. And the doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, however it happened the first time, it happened again, Jesus was standing among them. And he says the same words, peace be with you. And then he looked at Thomas and he said to Thomas, hey, why don't you put your finger here and, and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe my Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. And then Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me, but blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Final character we're going to look at today is Thomas. John believes when he sees the linens. Mary believes when she hears her name. The disciples believed when they saw him. But Thomas, Thomas believed when Jesus invited him to probe and investigate the legitimacy of his claim. Thomas is walking with doubt. He's skeptical. He needs convincing. 
Like a lot of people I talk to, they have these intellectual barriers. I'm not sure I can put my faith in Jesus. What do we do with this story in the Bible? Or what do we do with creation? Or what do we do with evolution? What do we do with all of these things? And they have questions that need answers, but they're not sure how to get those answers. But they need the permission to probe and to investigate. And just as Thomas was invited by Jesus to probe and investigate, it was through him encountering the truth. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life that he came to believe. There's a, a scene from uh, a movie from my childhood. How many of you guys were kids in the 90s? Any friends that are kids in the 90s? Look at my people. Yes. You guys remember Hook? Yeah. Little Robin Williams. They tried to like update Peter Pan. So there's a, a scene in that movie, and I'm actually going to play it for you because most of you are like, I didn't watch that movie. That's a children's movie. Um, but there's an interesting scene. So in the movie, what happens is Peter Pan, he gets old, like he leaves Neverland, and so he's no longer a kid. And then he returns as an adult. And all the kids who are there are like, you ain't Peter. I don't think that you're Peter. You don't look like Peter Pan. And so there's this scene in which they're trying to discover whether or not he is, that they're probing, investigating. Check this out. Peter. <laughs> I love it. Oh, there you are, Peter. It's not until there's an investigation and a probing and a looking deeply like, are you really who you say you are? I know that you said that you're the son of God. I know that you said that you came back to life. Is it really you? And I think that more and more people in our world today find themselves like Thomas. They got some doubts. They got some questions. They're a little skeptical of the whole thing. But I want you to know if that's you, Jesus is inviting you to look at the evidence, to investigate it and to probe it. He's not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of your doubts. In fact, he welcomes you just as you are. And if you're willing, you have to eventually step over that line of faith. And see, what's interesting to me as we read this is that Jesus says something to Thomas, he says to nobody else. He has this line of saying, don't be faithless any longer. Quit hanging on to what you've believed and now believe. He directly commands him to believe. He didn't tell anything to John. John believed. He told Mary her name. She believed. The disciples saw him. They believed. But Thomas, he needs that push. He needs the push to say, hey, enough with your doubts, enough with your skepticism. Believe today. And I want to encourage you today to believe. The final two verses in this chapter say this, that the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones that are recorded in this book. How incredible is that? He did so many things that we couldn't even record them all in this book. But, and John is saying this as he's wrapping this letter up, he says, but these things are written so that you, the reader of this, may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and get this, don't miss it, and that by believing in him, 
you will have life by the power of his name. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him might not perish, but have life everlasting. The promise of the resurrection is that there is life everlasting available to you, that it doesn't end with death, but there is life available to us after death. The only way to access it, though, is you have to believe. And so today, I invite you to put your faith and belief in Jesus. Just as Jesus was appearing to the disciples, he's still appearing today. And I believe that God is doing a work in some of your hearts, and you know it's time to step over that line and just believe. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to lead us in a prayer. And if you're here and you say, you know what, I'm ready to become a Christian. I've been investigating it. I've been exploring it. Uh, or maybe you're saying, you know what, I grew up as a Christian and I walked away from it, but I know what it is. I want to be that prodigal son that returns. Man, just come as you are. You don't got to get cleaned up first. You just got to choose to believe today. And if you're here and you're like, hey, I hear Jesus calling my name. I hear that this is what I'm supposed to do. Man, let this prayer become yours. And I want to welcome you into the family of God. And so if you guys will, you know, what we're going to do is I'm going to say a prayer, and I'm just going to ask you to repeat it after me. And if you're a Christian in the room, I just invite you to encourage those who are praying this maybe for the first time by praying it along with us. So if you guys would, let's bow our heads, and let me lead you in this prayer. And if you're making this your own, you're saying, I want to step over that line of faith. I want to believe. Man, make these words yours. Would everyone say, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. I believe you died and you are risen so I could be forgiven, so I could serve you. Fill me with your spirit and help me believe without seeing. I give you my life. I give you my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.